Rush into Old Navy for frost-free jackets for the family. Today and tomorrow only, they're just 20 bucks for adults, 15 bucks for kids and toddlers. Hurry, it's just today and tomorrow at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 12-8 to 12-9, select styles only. Hello, welcome to Psychic Teachers. I'm your host, Samantha Fay, and Deb Bowen is with us as always. We are so happy that you're joining us once again this week. We are honored and super excited to have a really exciting guest talking to us this week about all things yoga and kundalini and meditation and all sorts of fun stuff. So sit back, pour yourself a nice cup of tea, and relax and enjoy a lovely discussion with us. We have um, Brett Larkin on the show today. Today. She is the founder of Uplifted Yoga, an online yoga and meditation community that empowers students to personalize their practice and ignite their best life on and off the mat. Brett has instructed at top studios and companies like Google and Pinterest. She leads the world's most interactive online yoga teacher training program and teaches to a social media following of over 150,000 people. Her content on YouTube is streamed to two million for two million minutes each month. Um, we, Deb and I were honored to be on her show for um, two of our separate interviews, which you can hear on uh, Psychic Teachers and on Brett's um, podcast, Savannah podcast. She has another one called Yoga Hacks, and we'll be talking about both of those in a little bit. But first, I just wanted to say welcome, Brett, and thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks. I loved interviewing both of you, so I'm excited the tables are turned and to be here. So. Oh, we are too. Gratitude. <laughs> and for everyone listening, Brett just gave birth nine days ago and is still such a trooper that she's still doing our show. So we're very, very happy for that. And we just wanted to wish you a hearty congratulations on the birth of your son. Thank you. I know. I wouldn't miss it for the world. I think if it was an interview with anyone else, I wouldn't have done it. But with you guys, oh. I, I wanted to make it. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. you. We're so happy you're with us, and just congratulations. This is just great. So uh, we have a couple of specific topics that we have asked Brett uh, to talk with us about on the show, and Samantha is going to take the lead with um, discussions about kundalini energy with Brett, and we're going to start with that, and then, of course, we're also going to talk about one of our favorite things during this hour, which is meditation. So Samantha and Brett, take it away. (laughs) <laughs> well, first I want to say that everybody, you need to check out her website, brettlarkin.com, because it's so super interactive, and there's a ton of free material on there, um, which is wonderful, especially for you know new people to yoga. She has a great interactive um, video that you can sign up for on chakras in the yoga. And I have to say, like, bye, kids. I used to always... Um, like literally up until a couple of months ago, we would read every night before bedtime. And yes, my oldest is 15, but I still insisted on that. And lately they're like, "Eh, okay, mom, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. So I've started something new. Instead of reading with them before bedtime, now we do 20 minutes of yoga. And it's just a great way to connect with my girls and to, you know, just be with them in a moment of and so if you all go to brettlarkin.com, you can see a lot of her videos. You can go to her YouTube. Um, so she's just got a lot of great information out there. But, Brett, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because our listeners are constantly uh, texting and emailing us and Facebooking us questions about kundalini and, you know, what is kundalini and how can you help it to rise through your chakras. Um, I always 
take my time answering those questions. But I have to be honest, I have a hard time sometimes just explaining what kundalini is in in normal everyday language. And I'm just wondering if, if you could give us your concept of what kundalini energy is. Absolutely. I think it's it's really hard to define and explain properly Succinctly, but luckily we have a little bit of time on this show. So if you guys are open <laughs> to it, I'd love to give the the teachings that were handed down to me, which is the tantric viewpoint of uh, Kundalini and sort of how all of us came into being. So I think if I break down a couple words and principles, then we'll be able to really talk about Kundalini in a super interesting way. So the the first thing, before we start talking about Kundalini, I always like to share, is this idea of Shiva and Shakti and how each of us came into existence. And I know that's like a lot, like, whoa. But to keep it really simple, I just want you to imagine this energy of Shiva, which is more associated with the masculine quality of conscious, pure consciousness right? Consciousness that has not yet manifested in our world. So I often visualize it as like outer space. It's no thing, right? It's when we meditate, for example, a lot of us start to feel connected to something way bigger than ourselves, right? And that's your kundalini energy rising and reconnecting with what's called Brahma, universal intelligence in tantric philosophy. And when a baby is born, it's very appropriate that I just add one because we can talk about um, embryonic (laughs) development a little bit. Uh, What happens is it's almost like all of us are floating in this. I I visualize that it's like this outer space ether of this Brahma, universal intelligence, which again is represented by Shiva, a more masculine energy. And if you think of how the universe came into creation, obviously people have lots of different perspectives, but a big one is the Big Bang. And tantric philosophy actually supports this Big Bang theory of how the world came into being. And it's like with a split, right, with a bang, uh, the world came into form. And you can think of this the same way. When the sperm hits the ovum, what happens? That cell splits right? And then it splits into four and then it splits into six. And that splitting is actually uh, manifestation, right? It's, it's, it's Shakti, the feminine quality of manifestation, splitting away from Shiva, split, 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 split. And it's really a cool concept if I can paint this picture, because if you think of Brahman as like universal intelligence, again, I think of it as like the, the sky or the ocean, we're made up of the same stuff. So visualize you as an individual as a droplet, right? So you're made up of the same thing as this beautiful universal intelligence from which we all came. But through this splitting process of Shakti moving away from Shiva, you become an individual uh, which has karma attached to it. And you begin to exist on this plane of consciousness. Karma is another one of those words that gets tossed around a lot, but I'd love for you to think of it or share my, my interpretation as our karma is what we're here to learn, right? It's what we're here to learn on this plane of consciousness. It's what we're here to work through, yeah? Right. So kundalini <laughs> and, and kundalini and shakti are often used interchangeably, which I think is really confusing. It's confusing for me too, right? Especially a lot of kundalini chants, you know, you hear kundalini mata shakti, right? It's, it's this feminine force of creation that represents 
things that have manifested on this plane of consciousness. And according to Kundalini Yoga, your Shakti energy, your Kundalini energy, is a three-coiled little serpent at the base of your spine. And when you meditate or when you do yoga or what people often talk about is like a kundalini awakening, right, is when you're sending that energy, that shakti energy back up the spine, so through the notochord of the body, through the spinal column, also called brahmanadi, right, up through the crown of the head to reunite with Shiva. And that's why in meditation we get this sense of being connected to something bigger than ourselves. Uh, so kundalini energy is that feminine energy that it's, it's like we're trying to go home, kind of, right? Like we had all these splits in order to come into manifestation. And then through the practice of meditation and specifically through tantric uh, practices, the idea is to reconnect with that universal intelligence from which we all came, from which we are made up of the same stuff of, and have that experience of feeling super interconnected and then bringing that wisdom, that universal intelligence back down into the body, into our daily life. So that was a very, very long answer. Um, no, no, that's really good. It kind of reminds me of the as above, so below philosophy that you're just making that connection uh, between the two. Exactly. And, um, I think another thing people that I love to share about Kundalini energy is I think people are really interested in like, well, how can I have a Kundalini awakening or how can I have this big transformation or aha, you know, spiritual blow up experience kind of thing. And I definitely have met people who've had like spontaneous Kundalini awakenings. One of the girls in my teacher training right now actually did, and she was sharing her story and it was amazing. But I would say for most of us, that's, not usually what happens, right? So when we talk about wanting to move kundalini, there's there's another word I'd love to share with your listeners, which is this Sanskrit word, avidya. And avidya means ignorance, ignorance of our true nature. So like forgetting that we are made up of the same stuff as the, the universe, right? Forgetting that we are a mirror of universal intelligence just in human form on this plane of consciousness. Avidya means like, it's attachment to the illusions of life, right? So, and I mentioned karma before because we're using karma to work through avidya or ignorance. And avidya is said to what is said is said to be what makes the serpent, excuse me, so tightly coiled, right? So the less avidya you have in your life, the more easily that serpent, if you visualize that kundalini energy as that three and a half coiled serpent at the bottom of the spine, the easier it's going to be able to rise up through the chakra systems, go up to the crown of the head, reconnect with Shiva, universal intelligence, and come back down. So I think that really helps us put kundalini energy and working with it in a practical context, right? Because instead of hoping for this like miracle awakening, we can really just in our daily life think about, well, like, What's my karma? What am I here to learn, right? Maybe I need to learn more patience. Maybe I need to learn how to slow down. Maybe I notice that my uh, traits in my family are very much ones of uh, material wealth or hoarding, and, and I kind of need to learn how to break that pattern. And when we put it in that context, all of a sudden there's a lot of actionable things we can do in our daily life, even off the yoga mat, off the meditation cushion, where we're lessening that avidya, that ignorance, 
and therefore kundalini energy is going to flow more freely through the body. And I'm happy to talk about kundalini yoga as a practice specifically too, but let me see where you want to take it next. No, that's so cool. So if I'm understanding this correctly, the kundalini energy that's coiled at the you know, base of our spine and our root chakra is feminine creative energy. Is that right? Yes. According to tantric philosophy, yes. <laughs> right. That's a really cool way to look at it. And so as you work to pull it up through your chakras, not only are you connecting with this sense that you are connected to all that is and getting rid of that spiritual ignorance, but you're also bringing that energy to all of your chakras and awakening the creativity and the the co-creative abilities we have when we realize the connection to all that is. That's a great way to explain it. Thank you. Yeah, and then it's like a marriage too. Like if you think of the the seventh chakra and, and that energy rising all the way up to the crown of the head or what the yoga sutras would call samadhi, that state of pure bliss, it's like the feminine reconnecting with the masculine from which we came, right? It's like like reversing the splits, you know, and mm-hmm. having this moment where we just feel completely whole, completely connected. And then the practice of, of Tantra or Kriya Yoga would be to bring that feeling, that universal intelligence, that wisdom back down through the chakra system into our daily life, right? Because with the chakras, we have that current of liberation, the upward current, and then the current of manifestation, that downward current. And again, when people work with uh, kundalini yoga or just think about kundalini they're usually always thinking about that upward current right like how do i you know even for me when i meditate like kind of like how do i meditate and get high you know i found that i was able to meditate and kind of bliss out or space out quite easily and this is something i'm really passionate about sharing with folks so uh, i'd love to share with your listeners is that a lot of us don't need more of that current of liberation a lot of us need to ground especially because we live in a time period right now where uh, we, we have like a Vata disorder in our society. Like uh, we, we have very short attention spans. Everything in our, our society right now is like very quick, uh, instant gratification, and just the, the amount of communication that is available to us. I mean, it's incredible, but I think it really keeps us living in the upper chakras. And the, when I use that word vata, that's an Ayurvedic word that I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, but it's like that airy quality of a little bit uh, sometimes chaotic, disorganized, a short attention span is often what I think about. So it can be really easy for us to work with kundalini energy and kind of, as I say, get high, like feel the energy in the upper chakras quite easily. What I think gets missed is this idea of connecting with universal intelligence and then bringing it all the way back down, 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 down through the chakra system and re-grounding, bringing that wisdom into our daily life and getting really settled. Especially, I think a lot of people have, and I had a sort of negative experience with kundalini yoga because a lot of the kundalini yoga kriyas are focused on getting people up and they don't spend as much time helping them re-ground. So in both my teacher training and just as I teach myself, I'm constantly harping on all my trainees, right, about this importance of helping people reground. It's almost like irresponsible, I think, as, as a teacher and someone working with Kundalini energy to just kind of like get help people get high, right, which is like what they're interested in. We really, all of us, myself included, need to practice this um, 
this grounding, this, this really getting connected again to the lower chakras because everything in our society and environment right now is sort of skewing for, for it to be more upper, if that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. I totally agree with that. And I feel like it's, um, I, I blame that on Amazon Prime because in my own life, I'm so hooked on Amazon. I expect everything to happen within three days. <laughs> I know. I ordered something on Amazon yesterday, like baby related, and it didn't have like the free two day shipping or like next day. And I was like, what? This is outrageous. You know? This yeah. Forget so this. <laughs> well, tell us about Kundalini yoga. Like how is, like, what is it and how is it different from what people think of when they think of, you know, down dog and, and, and sun salutations? Oh, great question. So I'm super passionate about trying to speak to Kundalini Yoga in a way that people can really understand and demystify it. And this is very much triggered by my own extremely negative experience when I first tried Kundalini Yoga. So, you know, most people listening probably have this vision of yoga that is exactly what you described, right? The sun salutation, downward facing dog, chaturanga, that yoga push up, very much the Iyengar derived um, vinyasa or hatha style of yoga. That style of yoga is so beautiful and I teach hundreds, thousands. I mean, I have so many classes in that style. And the thing though, that I've come to understand is that that style is, is very much working with the physical body. It's designed to move the physical body in order to prepare the practitioner to meditate, right? So it's almost like Patanjali, the author of the Yoga Sutras, he knew meditation was really hard. And he was mainly teaching 12-year-old boys back in the day, these, these young uh, monks, young, young men who were being sent to him to be trained to become monks or to, to be spiritual leaders. So he was like, hmm, in order to get them to meditate, we need to get them moving first, right? Like it's a lot easier to sit still after you've gone for a run or done 40 sun salutations. And that's where we kind of get the Ashtanga yoga practice from which vinyasa and hatha and a lot of the forms that we see in America are, are derived. So it's a very physical, active practice. And I think what a lot of people don't know or a lot of people miss is that that physical practice is actually purely designed to help you then be able to sit still in order to meditate so that you can achieve samadhi. And samadhi is that bliss state we talked about of Shakti reuniting with Shiva. Yeah? So that's beautiful. Kundalini, on the other hand, is a totally different system. Instead of working with the physical body, meaning like we're doing push-ups and we're doing big sun salutations and down dogs, it's working with the energetic subtle body. So I'm sure your listeners are familiar maybe with this idea of nadis or energy channels. I think of them as like little super highways in the body on which prana right. energy travels. Yeah. So the one we're all most familiar with is obviously shashumna nadi or brahma nadi, which is the, the central channel along the spinal column where our chakras live. But the reality is there's thousands of nadis in the body. And a lot are stimulated by your abdomen, which I love to remind people of. So when you take a deep breath in and then a deep breath out and you really kind of contract your abs a little bit to get all the air out, you're stimulating around 42 nadis in your abdomen right there that are, you know, sending fresh, fresh prana, fresh energy everywhere. 
So there are these nadis throughout the whole body. And, and people who are maybe familiar with the Chinese system, it's very similar to meridian, right? It's just like different words and different um, philosophies. We're talking about the same stuff, right? So whether you think of it as nadis or meridian lines, whatever, there are these energy channels in the body. And what Kundalini Yoga does is it works specifically with those energetic lines. So instead of saying, let's do down dog and let's do push-ups and let's do all these things to kind of tire out the physical body in order to meditate, it's sort of just going a whole layer in and saying, let's just work with stimulating these nadis and uh, meridian points. So for example, you might, <laughs> the classic Kundalini yoga move is you're maybe doing breath of fire. Breath of fire, you're just seated. Your arms are up at 45 degrees above your head, fingers curled in, thumbs out, and you're doing a, a sharp staccato exhale out the nose. And you're pumping the belly, right? Very kind of like almost like violently as you exhale. If we take a look at that posture, it may look like, why are we doing this? This looks kind of crazy, right? And, and most people, when they do it, they get really tired of holding their arms above their head. But what Yogi Bhajan, who founded Kundalini Yoga, was it's like scientific in his precision of how these postures worked. So when you hold your arms at 45 degrees, you're actually stimulating um, a very important um, energy line that's right around your armpit area, right, running underneath the, the deltoid down the armpit. Um, and it's incredibly fantastic for your lymphatic system. And when you're doing that belly pumping, well, you're stimulating all those uh, nadis that I talked about that live in the abdomen. And that's just looking at one pose. Then what Yogi Bhajan did is he started putting together what's called kriyas, which is a sequence of those types of poses. And unlike a vinyasa class, where, of course, vinyasa classes have themes and, you know, it's super fun, like all my chakra classes are, are like, are, all those are vinyasa classes that are themed around the chakras and detox. I mean, so much fun stuff. But with kundalini, it's like, this is a kriya for detoxifying the liver. And the postures and, and how long you do them uh, is incredibly precise. So it'll be like you're doing that breath of fire for exactly three minutes, and then you're doing some other kind of like weird squat. Uh, it's usually repetitive movements and like twisting side to side. And, and the irony that, that the irony is that that most of those postures, those kundalini postures, are easy for most people. It's hard to do them for a long period of time, but it doesn't really require flexibility. It doesn't require tons and tons of strength in the way like you know, traditional vinyasa or shanga does when you do those push-ups and stuff. But I think people get really intimidated by it because it looks kind of weird. <laughs> and then, you know, a lot of people who teach kundalini yoga are, are like Yogi Bhajan are wearing turbans and, you know, people maybe, um, I, I know for me at first, I was like a little freaked out. I was like, what is all this stuff? But when you break it down, it's just like really, really simple postures that are stimulating different uh, meridian lines and energetic qualities. I have this one class on YouTube that's a Kundalini class that uh, is about detoxifying the liver. I have a lot of different, um, and again, it's all through the teachings of Yogi Bhajan. But people often ask because we do like a little uh, on all fours, sort of extending one leg and extending one arm, and you're kind of like kicking yourself or, you know, again, it's all these weird sort of repetitive movements, but we only do it on one side. And people always comment, they're like, 
I really love this Crea. Like my, 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 you know, liver feels amazing. I have one for kidneys too. Maybe it's in the kidney one. Um, but they're like, but why is, why is it uneven, right? Why do we only do that on one side? Because you'd never do like just warrior two on one side in a vinyasa sequence. It's always even. And what I remind people is that, no, the Kriya was prescribed this way by Yogi Bhajan because your liver is only on one side of the body, right? So it made, it made sense to only do that on one side. With kidneys, it's on both. So I can't remember. I think it must be in the liver class then. But um, I use that as an example to hopefully illuminate for folks trying to visualize this at home, like how prescriptive these kriyas are and it's super super fun i think to to play with if you're if you're interested and i can you know share more if people want to know how and to get so started maybe like doing it on youtube is a good way to start rather than showing up at a class feeling kind of self-conscious you know with your arms in the air that's the beauty of youtube right you can kind of test on yeah. a lot of things in your home however you know the my first experience with Kundalini Yoga, as I mentioned, was quite um, not a great one. And it's because of that grounding principle that, that I mentioned earlier. So I went to a Kundalini Yoga class, and there was a teacher there that I really, really liked. And so I was going to her class, and then there was a guest teacher from L.A. visiting. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take her class. And, and she, again, wonderful teacher, um, you know, beautiful person, but she did a Kriya, and it probably was one that was a little advanced for me at the time as well. It was very challenging, and it just brought the energy up, 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 and we never regrounded, really. So I left in, like, a total funk. Like, I was supposed to go have dinner after this class and had, like, a whole evening plan, and it was like I couldn't speak. Like, I had to go home and just lie down. I had a crazy negative experience, and this is something else I want to mention about Kundalini in case people are thinking of trying the style of yoga is I sort of talked about how it's, you know, scientific in the sense that we're stimulating different parts of the body, doing prescriptive exercises for very exact amounts of time. What I didn't mention, which I think is important to is that doing these exercises and especially repeating them and especially for long periods of time is designed to trigger us. It is designed to get your ego talking to you. So, for example, when you're holding your arms above your head in that breath of fire, maybe for three minutes or five minutes, okay, that doesn't sound long when we're talking on this podcast, but, you know, try it at home, guys. Like, your arms start freaking out. You're like, oh, and you'll notice your self-talk. And it usually sounds, or I can, you know, just use my own experience, but it's like, when is this going to end? This stinks. My arms hurt. This is stupid. Why is the teacher making us do this? I hate her. Right? Like you start to notice this like internal dialogue. Or for others, it might be like, um, Ugh, I'm not good enough. I, I'm terrible. I can't even hold my arms up. Right? So Kundalini Yoga is designed to get that language, that that uh, self-talk going. And unfortunately, I don't think that's explained <laughs> to a lot of people when they just like randomly go to a class or definitely was never explained to me. Because I think what sitting happens, there thinking, you know, this is why the Japanese used this as torture during World War II. <laughs> yes, exactly. So when, when you're like not aware that that's by design, you can get really upset, right? It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. aggravating because it's sort of like drawing out that that part of you that's 
Like, how, how do you act in a situation of difficulty or conflict? And it's putting you in that situation of difficulty or conflict on purpose to draw out your reaction. And it's, it's, it's like practicing, right? And then you're like, oh, I know this voice. Oh, I'm way stronger than this voice. I'm just going to focus on my breath and keep my arms here and not engage with that dialogue. But Kundalini Yoga is often called the yoga of awareness because it's really designed, in addition to all the cool, subtle body you know, meridian stuff that I talked about. It's really designed to evolve your consciousness and to give you awareness of your inner dialogue, your inner state. And I really, really like to share that with folks because otherwise you're going to do Kundalini yoga and you're just going to be like, I hate myself or I hate the teacher. or I, It's going to make you angry. But when you realize that that's by design and it's sort of like a microcosm, like imagine you're having a really conflicted conversation with your husband, right? Or like a a Mm -hmm. fight with a family member. And instead of like reacting unconsciously in that situation, it's like you can do Kundalini yoga, which is like a, like a Petri dish experiment, right? Of, Of how you act, react and talk when you're triggered. And by practicing in the Kundalini space in the yoga posture, First of all, you're not going to say something you regret, right? Because, you, you know, you're kind of like doing a little practice run. Um, but it's going to give you these amazing insights to sort of what your default reaction is. Like, for example, when I talked about myself, I started hating on the teacher, right? Like when I was in those really difficult postures, like I hate her. Why is she making us do this? And that's totally in line with, with you know, my karma and what I'm here working on is that like when I'm triggered, I tend to play like victim, right? And I want to blame, right? And then there's different people have different things. Like other people kind of get really down on themselves or, you know, but, but for me, there was a lot of anger and blame. And I started noticing in Kundalini, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I, I do that when I'm in a pose and really struggling. And I do that in my life too, right? Like when things are hard or, um, you know, fighting with my mom or my husband or something like I tend to go into this like victim mindset and getting awareness of that for me was huge because all of a sudden I'm aware of it. I'm working on it. And every time I come to my mat and do Kundalini yoga, it's like strengthening a muscle, right? To like not go down that path. And instead, to stay with the breath, to stay focused, to stay calm, to not listen to that voice. And this is something I think we can all benefit from so much because it's like we all would agree that we're not going to get six-pack abs if we never go to the gym. But for some reason, I think a lot of us, especially, we're like, oh, well, I'm practicing yoga or I'm, like, dabbling in meditation or I'm interested in crystals, so I should be this, like, evolved person and it's like well no it's like unless you just like you're work out a bicep with weights unless you're really working on changing your tendencies that you have in this plane of consciousness that karma um you know you're you're not going to maybe evolve in in the way you're hoping for i'm so glad you explained it that way because that's something well first of all i think it it's in line with the kundalini rising because if you can get in touch with your mind that way that is strengthening your ability to be a co-creator but also for for me personally yoga has always come relatively easy to me i i grew up doing it with my dad but all other forms of exercise, not so much. And I have a good friend who runs marathons, like, for fun and as a running coach. And 
she came over for dinner the other night and she could barely walk. And I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, oh, I, I ran 18 miles today and I just kind of overdid it. And I said, you can overdo it? Like, I just felt like she, you know, she works out six days a week. How can she have muscles left to be sore? And she was explaining to me that 99% of exercise is in your mind. And it's all a, a battle in your mind. And if you can just push through it and tell yourself, I can do this, then you can. And just her explaining that has opened up my eyes to my own exercise practice and just you saying, you know, yeah, that's what's going to happen, and here's why we design it this way. I, I think that's eye-opening for me, and I'm sure for many of our listeners. So thank you for taking the time to share that. Now, since we are a results-oriented society with our three-day Prime membership, what, when, in what ways do you see the kundalini rising through yoga? Like, can you give people things they can look for so they know, oh, this is working? And, and oh. after Brett, and after I, I've just been sitting here absorbing all of this like a sponge. For uh, this is amazing. I, I'm ha- I'm learning so much. Uh, and after Brett answers that question, Samantha, if you can tell us about Audible, that would be great. Sure. Okay. All right. So, talking. How how do you know? Right. It's like how how do you know it's happening? You know, everyone. It's personal. It's going to be a different experience for everyone. But here are some things that that I'd suggest folks look for, and uh, and then you know maybe when we come back, I can I can give advice also about maybe what Kundalini yoga practices or classes to start with. But one thing that people often experience is well, one lightheadedness, right? <laughs> Feeling a little spacey feeling an activation or uh, an intensification, if that's a word, of heat or energy at the third eye center, that space just between and above the eyebrows. Another one is, is kind of like you start moving uh, a little bit in a circular motion. And I don't mean like, you know, you're doing huge hula hoops, but you might even be like in your meditation seat and have this like gentle sense of a spiral, right? Or notice that all of a sudden you're maybe doing a kundalini exercise or seated in silent meditation and, and there's just like some gentle movement. I wish you could see me, but I'm kind of just doing it in my chair right now, like a little bit of um, spiral mobility in the upper body. Um, so I'd say those, like heat in the third eye center, that feeling of lightheadedness, uh, feeling of just, yeah, energy being up in the body. Some people even really feel that crown of head, that top fontanelle point that is said to be, you know, where we connect with universal intelligence, uh, feeling very, very open. But that's been my experience, uh, both personally and what students have told me, if that's helpful. That's great. Yeah, that's really good to have that and to know that that's normal and expected. So um, as you all know, we are sponsored by Audible. If you all are interested in this wonderful learning um, listening resource, go to audibletrial.com slash psychic teachers, and you can try Audible free for one month. Um, This week I asked Brett what she recommended in terms of the topics we are discussing today, and she recommended a book I didn't know existed. I'm very excited to check it out. It's by um, Anodea Judith, who you all I'm sure know. Um, I've recommended her books on chakras for years, and she was just a guest on Brett's show, so you guys can check that out. Um, But the book that we are recommending this week is called Eastern Body, Western Mind, Psychology, and the Chakra System as a Path to the Self. So that's audibletrial.com slash psychic teachers.
and we really appreciate all of you for supporting our sponsors as you do. Um, and we would also like to remind you all to please take a moment to leave a comment or review on our iTunes show and to please join us on Facebook. Um, Deb, do you want to ask um, Brett some questions about meditation in, in conjunction with yoga? Absolutely, as I could. Um, Fred, I know that you are a big meditator, and I know that you are um, a big proponent of journaling. And I wonder how uh, yoga and journaling and meditation come together for you in your daily practice and some suggestions that you might have for our listeners about bringing those concepts together. Mm, Great question, yes. Another one of my favorite topics. So we mentioned a little bit before how the physical yoga practice, the asana practice, right, doing the physical postures is really designed to just sort of burn off energy so that we can then sit to meditate. But what I found in my own practice and in my community as well is that a lot of people were still struggling. And meditation is something that is so hard. I mean, again, we already talked about like, the time period in which we live, right? We like Facebook Messenger goes off on my phone like every five seconds, Instagram. I mean, it's wild just how much stimulation there is. And we have so many thoughts and self-talk. It seems like this incessant dialogue. And of course, doing the physical yoga postures helps quiet the mind. There is no question. But a lot of folks were still struggling in order to sit quietly and meditate because I think a lot of people think that meditation is sitting and with your mind clear. No, 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 no. Meditation is sitting, practicing clearing the mind, right? If you think meditation is just like sitting with no thoughts in your head or you're not doing it right, if you have no thoughts, you're setting yourself up for failure and it's going to be really, really hard. So that's one thing. I always encourage people to kind of reframe that meditation is practicing letting our thoughts go and bringing our attention back to the breath. So, a couple ways you can do that, right, is like labeling your thoughts, like fear, worry, anxiety, um, kind of seeing the thoughts as passing clouds in the sky. So like you are the sky and the thoughts are the clouds. It's sort of a disassociation that your constant monkey mind, your constant thoughts aren't you. They aren't your true identity. They're not your satnam, as would say in Kundalini Yoga. They're not your truth. They're not your true identity. So meditation is constantly reminding us of that. But again, because we have so many of these thoughts, often doing just the physical yoga practice, at least for me, was not enough. And that's where I found that bringing in journaling or doing some writing before I came to sit and meditate was a game changer because it sort of helped me release a lot of the thoughts that were jumping around in my mind, even just like to-dos, like things I want to get at the grocery store. Just get that all out on paper before coming to sit and meditate. And then because I'm super into hacking, right, who isn't in this day and age, that's why my personal podcast is called Yoga Hacks, I thought, huh, I could journal sitting at my desk where I do all my editing work and all my business stuff all day, or even at a table, or I could journal in yoga poses while I'm stretching as part of my morning practice. And, well, that would be kind of cool because then I'd be kind of getting this nice yin-style hip stretch or low back stretch while also writing at the same time. And what came into being was this sort of trifecta of yoga, journaling, and meditation that 
I started to put together and realize that you can do all three in 30 minutes. And of course, I encourage and would love for everyone to do more, to do 90, to do two hours a day. But right, we all have jobs and kids and families. And so what I found is like, if I only have 30 minutes, the most effective, like the, the laser sharp way I can use those 30 minutes most effectively is to combine yoga, journaling in yoga poses towards the end, and then meditation. And uh, that's what my ritual series and DVD is. So I started calling that my ritual, right? Yoga journaling and meditation is my 30-minute ritual. And there's six 30-minute uh, routines that I've designed that teach you, you know, takes take you through the postures takes you through the journaling and journaling prompts, and each class is also related to a chakra. So it's really fun because you can choose uh, which class to do based on how you want to shift your energy. So if you wake up kind of feeling groggy, it's like, oh, maybe we'll do the third chakra class to, like, wake up, and there's yoga, journaling prompts, and meditation around that, and it's always 30 minutes. And I'm happy to share a little bit more about the journaling piece if if folks are interested in that, but I'll give Deb a moment. Maybe she has, uh, you know, some other questions. Well, I, I, and that, and that's exactly one of my questions was I would love to hear more about the, the journaling piece. Um, I also, I, I teach people basic meditation, what I call meditation 101. And I maintain that you can meditate, you can learn to meditate in one minute. That really, if that's because sometimes that's a really long time for people. It was mm-hmm. for me when I when when I started meditating. I remember my very first forays into meditation. I literally would stare at an old-fashioned clock and watch the hand go around and just breathe and watch the clock hand. And at the end of that one minute, I'd say, "Oh, okay, good, that's over. We, you know, all right, I've meditated now." Well, of course I hadn't, but but you know, it it was at least started up the process. And so when you talk about being able to do these things in 30 minutes, um, that's, that sounds great. I'm also wondering, is it possible or beneficial or not to condense that a, a little bit? Because I'm not sure everybody has 30 minutes every morning to do this. Yes, it's definitely true. Yeah, and some mornings, you know, you might feel pulled in one direction or another, like I'm just going to do yoga or I'm just going to meditate or I'm just going to journal. You know, especially I think in times of emotional upheaval or big change, doing a really long journaling session can be so therapeutic. So I like to Mm. break down the ways that I journal into three basic categories, I guess you could say, or ways to journal. And I'm happy to share those with with your listeners, um, because I think you can do them in, yeah, five or 10 minutes while you're drinking your morning coffee. Uh, you know, if you don't want to get on the mat and journal in, in pigeon pose or something, right, it's still beneficial to just get clear your head, get, get those thoughts on the page. And so here are the mm-hmm. three different ways that, um, that I found to be the most effective. So the first kind of journaling is what I call release journaling. And this is just like your journaling session turns into basically endless questions, rants, or just word vomit, right? You just release every thought swirling around inside your head onto the page. And those of you who have maybe read The Artist's Way are familiar with this idea of morning pages. It's the same idea. It's just like you just even if these thoughts or questions in your head might seem like overblown or crazy, it doesn't matter. You just like write them all down. You just write them down. And it's a purge. 
And it's immensely therapeutic because by writing them down, you gain a sense of clarity. You're able to sort of name, capture, and release the thoughts. And then you can observe them without judgment, right? When you look at what you wrote after the fact, suddenly you realize that those thoughts aren't you. And it might even help you uncover connections about what's going on in your life. So this style of journaling, I really think, is the perfect way to embody what yoga also teaches us and meditation also teaches us, which is just basically like you are not your thoughts. And by writing the thoughts down on the page and then looking at them, you gain this, um, you're able to disassociate, basically. So that's the first way to journal. Because, of course, when we introduce the word journal, a lot of people think like, oh, is this like dear diary yesterday? And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing here, right? So, so that's the first type, is that release. The other is what I call free-form journaling. And this is really cool. It's kind of like a, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. So this free-form journaling, you begin to just, like, write down or ask questions on the page, like things that you're looking for answers to. And then you come back and you may find, sometimes I do this, I meditate and then I come back to what I wrote, like all the questions I wrote. And sometimes, you know, it's just, just writing the questions and then being like, okay, I want to shift into answering these questions. You kind of like channel your highest self. So you might write, I don't know, um, I don't know what to do about my father's health or something. And then all of a sudden you'll just find yourself writing on the pages, like what would my highest self Say to this, and you can think of yourself as like an old wise person, you know, like the grandmother version of you, or sometimes it's just like an energetic little shift that I just like shift, and it's like, okay, channeling my satnam, my true identity, what would I say to myself? Um, or you could think of speaking to yourself as if you were your own child, and all of a sudden it's like these words start flowing out of your pen, like, you know. You, you need to be strong. You need to tell him everything's going to be okay. You have, you know, faith. It, it, it's amazing. It's like a free therapy session, basically. So it's sort of like this Q&A style of journaling. And again, there's ways that you can mix in meditation either in between or, or not. But I found even, again, over that morning tea or coffee, you can write some questions and then invite your highest self in, start writing the answers, and you might read what you wrote afterwards and be like blown away at the wisdom and intelligence that has flown through. So uh, it's, it's really shocking. Yeah, that, that my, intuitive voice, if so you many, give uh, it a stage, it comes through. I have so many takeaways from our talk with you. Um, but one is just even how you said change the goal of your meditation from quieting your mind to practicing quieting your mind. And I think just that one shift in people's uh, I don't know, expectation of meditating is going to help so many people. And I love the idea of journaling while you're doing yoga because that's the mind-body-spirit connection that we are all needing and looking for in our life. So you're saying, I'm doing pigeon pose, which, so I'm kind of like on my elbows a little bit when I'm writing, or am I just flat doing pigeon pose and writing? I'm trying to picture no, that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, you're in pigeon pose, and then I'd probably, in the video, I show you how you can, like, set up your blocks, and uh, you just put your journal on the block, 
and you're like up on your elbows exactly and you're just journaling yep and if people can't do pigeon pose i show them like bodhikanasana or like another pose it pretty much always involves props which is why i'm such a proponent of everyone owning yoga blocks because it's a total game changer uh so you you do need props to kind of make it ergonomic and i mean i have mixed feelings about this too right i'm i love myofascial release and yin and body work and i think you know there's value to just doing like an eight minute pigeon and being purely focused on your body right Mm -hmm. but for some of us like again reality pressed for time want to sit in journaling too also want to get the long hip stretch you know, I think it's great to, to, to journal I in do the yoga posture. I do, too. And, um, and to not be so rigid about it. Yeah, exactly. It's fun. It's playful. You know, it's like getting on the floor and, you know, when you, like, spread out your colored pens. And, I, I mean, I'm looking at my drawer right now. I have, like, hundreds of colored pens because I love journaling in different colors. And, um, you know, it's just – it's per- and that freeform journaling I was talking about with the Q&A, the, the kind of Jekyll and Hyde type of thing – it's so cool because, again, I think so many people are like, well, how can I connect with my intuition or how can I be more intuitive? And sometimes the answer is as simple as, like, you just need to leave some blank space on a page and invite that voice in, right? And it's like literally once you ask a question or have that blank, blank page in front of you um, that that voice shines through. And just like you said about practice, thank you for, for coming back to that. I would, I'd like to add in for people who try or start doing Kundalini, and I have a beginner one on YouTube, so definitely start with a beginner one if you've never done it before, just because it is, you know, we're working with a lot of energy and I I like people to take it slow. Um, But think of Kundalini as practicing being triggered, right? Right, (laughs) It's practicing being triggered. So when when you go into it with that viewpoint, all of a sudden you're not going to be upset when, you're you're tired and you're triggered and you know you're like why are we still doing breath of fire or why are we still doing these little frog squats or you know whatever you're like oh I'm practicing being with the discomfort of uh of like my ego kind of like attacking me and and there's such you know value what that makes that. me like listening to you makes me think about the karate kid you know when he was doing the wax on <laughs> totally. wax off, and he was like why am I doing this and then it all came together and made sense I feel like if we follow what you're saying eventually it's all going to come together and make sense for us um, I want to say Deb just had some technical difficulty with her recording end so I'm going to be finishing up the show alone in case you guys are thinking wow Deb's being really quiet <laughs> she's she just texted and said, I'm having recording issues. Um, before we, we wrap up and close out, I just wanted to ask, if you don't mind, how has being such a profound yogini, how did that help your pregnancy and birthing process? Oh, my goodness. Well, I had a very, very fast labor Um, it was two and a half hours and my midwife couldn't even get here in time. So I gave birth in my home, uh, and my husband caught the baby. So that was definitely not in our plan, but it's been an amazing, amazing story. And luckily the midwife arrived around 10, 10, 15 minutes later. Uh, but it was such a blessing to be able to give birth in my home and, yeah, my body just knew what to do and everything just was fast. And I definitely thought about 
well, it was funny because as a yogini, I think, as you said, like I had all these plans. I had like a whole list of mantras that I wanted to play during my labor and chants that I was going to chant. And I had crystals that I had charged up that I was going to hold. And, you know, I had this whole plan of, uh, you know, things that I was going to do. And, and it was, the, it was so fast. I mean, literally it was like, I woke up at, 6:30 and 9:03, the baby was in our arms, and I was just like in the bathtub and just kind of breathing and struggling, and you know, really, really coming back to a lot of those Kundalini principles that um, you know I thought I thought labor would be at least six hours and maybe 36 hours. So mm-hmm. the whole time I was just very, very focused on this is going to be long, and I'm strong, and uh, so what an amazing surprise when. You know, what, what I thought was early labor was actually active labor. I had, I think, what's called precipitous labor, which is really rare for first-time moms. It's like a super fast labor that happens under three hours. Um, but I think I was able so to... Cool. Yeah, I think I was able to deal with the intensity of that uh, in large part because of all the, the work with Kundalini Yoga. Because it, it, okay, there so was no, like, slow ramp up, you know? It was just like... Here I am. Really fast. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Brett, I have a theory that the way our children come into the world gives us insight into their personality. So I feel like the fact that, you know, he came a little bit early and super fast, I feel like he's just going to be this, like, go-getter, you know, like – all right, totally. well, I'm hungry, feed me now, I'm tired, put me down now. Like, I think that's so cool. That's, that gives me yeah. chills. Because you're right, for a first-time mom to just jump in and, and do it basically all by yourself, that's phenomenal. Yes, it was, it was funny because as I, I tell people, I really, really wanted a natural birth, but not, not as so natural, like no supervision, my husband and I alone in our house that quickly, but you know, it, it all worked out. So I feel so, so grat- grateful. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, um, tell people, so you've got the two podcasts, just tell people a little bit about what they are and what the difference is between the two. Yeah, sure. So the Yoga Hacks podcast is my personal podcast. So it's basically me just ranting or uh, discussing various topics I'm passionate about, uh, you know, natural remedies, all sorts of different things uh, related to yoga. A lot of those podcasts are driven by community questions I get. So people want to know about something in particular. So that podcast is basically just me talking about stuff, Uh, usually hopefully stuff that people have asked and really want to know about. And uh, the theme is sort of like hacking yoga into your daily life. Uh, So bringing yoga off the mat and into your relationships and interactions with others and and all that good stuff. And then the Savannah podcast, uh, I run with savannaspirit.com. And in that one, I get to interview experts. So every show is a different guest expert coming on the show and I'm interviewing them. And that's where I got to interview both of you, which was such an honor and so, so fun. And, um, yeah, those are the podcasts. And then I have tons of free classes on YouTube, just Brett Larkin Yoga. Just type it into Google or YouTube. You'll find me. And that ritual series, uh, I think you can get the first couple classes for free. There's so many freebies on my website. So if you want to try the yoga journaling meditation, we can about. There really are. And your, your website is awesome, and it's super interactive oh, and easy. I love it. Tell people real quick, too, um, if they want to start a yoga practice out in their community and they want to find a good yoga class, are there any good tips you recommend for people 
seeking that out, finding a good fit for them? Trial and error. It's like you got to kiss a lot of frogs, you know. So the, my biggest advice is to try every studio that's near you. And the good news is most studios have like um, a, a new student special. So it's really affordable and conducive to sort of date around, as I say, a lot of different studios. So I think the, the thing that makes me the most sad, and it really does, is people who go to just like a yoga class close to their house and take like one random class at a convenient time for them with one random teacher and don't really love it and are like, yoga is not for me. Because there are a dozen styles of yoga. There are thousands of incredible teachers and you need to find that right fit. And this is a place where technology thank goodness, has made life so easy for us because you could study with me or another teacher you love who's probably putting stuff online. So you're not limited yeah. to, to what's nearby. But I'd say you really, you know, if you don't like the class you went to, go to that same studio, try a different teacher. Try another different teacher. You know, if that still doesn't work, try the other studios because there are so many flavors of yoga. I mean, yoga's exploded, and there's definitely going to be one that works for you. I also have my Find Your Style Yoga Challenge, which is like a little – six or seven day, we do a different type of yoga each day, like very beginner classes to introduce people to it. Um, so I would just say That's they, great. Kiss, kiss a lot of frogs, right? Yeah, I would agree too. Cause I've, I've done a lot of yoga classes where I feel like it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm, I don't know, joining a party I wasn't invited to, you know how some of them can be kind of like exclusive in a way. And then I just kind of did what you did. I kept going to different classes, and I eventually found a really great teacher. I've also um, – I know a lot of yoga people just in my line of work, and I had a yoga teacher uh, come to teach at my neighborhood clubhouse, and that was awesome. We did that for years, um, and it was a great way just to get to know my neighbors and to get – she was she had just gotten her yoga certification, so it was a great way for her to get some practice teaching – so even if you can't find a yoga class that you resonate with, I always say create your own. Totally. And, and, you know, and if you don't have time, go on YouTube because, like you said, you've got so many free classes right there, and you can do it in the privacy and safety of your own home. Yeah. And then, you know, my, my membership is, like, exactly for what you said. Like, we have so many people in our online community that – can go to amazing studio classes, but they don't feel like welcome there, that they can ask questions. It's really weird. Like, like you said, there's some studios and classes that just kind of feel like this elite club. So um, yeah, you can always, always hang out with, with, with us on online. And for those who are really interested in the journaling, I do want to share if it's okay with you that I, I have a journal coming out, uh, like a yoga focused 2018 planner journal thing. Um, it's like journaling pages in the back. And then there's uh, an accountability system for doing yoga journaling and meditation every day on the front and a place to write your affirmations and gratitude each day. And um, it's sort of, I've been working on it for years and it's actually going to be a physical book in 2018. So people who are really oh, into the journaling aspect, uh, there's a link to that on my website as well. Yeah. Which I'm really excited about. So that's it's a really good cool. uh, a lot of holiday gift guide. for New Year's. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And it has, I think, um, I think it has over 500 journaling prompts uh, also around the chakras and, uh, lunar cycles and you know all the kind of stuff that that people like us are into so um, I'd encourage people to check that out too if they're if they're interested in the journaling piece or wanting uh, kind of like a planner a yoga focus what do you for what do you think about um, 
a lot of people who will say to me, like, oh, I'd like to try yoga, but I've never done it. I don't know. I'll always tell them, try a restorative yoga first. Do you think that's mm. good advice? I think that's great advice. I think restorative is great advice because that's basically just like a, a nap, and we all need a nap. It really we is. I love it. I'm addicted to restorative yoga classes. So everybody can find you at brettlarkin.com. Um, they can also go to iTunes and find both of your podcasts, Savannah and Yoga Hacks. Um, they're both awesome. I recommend them highly. There's a really good episode with um, a, a lady named Samantha Fay. Y'all should check out too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you guys have you have so many great guests on that show. That's why Deb and I were so honored to be on your show and be counted among those. So if you all are looking for interviews with, you know, kind of people who are writing and speaking about this um, all things spiritual, check out um, – that podcast and then if you want more information just about Brett check out the yoga hacks because I found that one really personal which was which was nice it was nice to see that other side of you as well so I hope well, everybody wonderful. checks out thank yes, you so much for having me on I loved everything we talked about it was so fun oh my gosh thank you so much for coming on with a nine-day-old baby so hang <laughs> up and go enjoy that little baby and I loved listening to your birthing story and oh I just love it love it love it congratulations welcome to motherhood and um, we will definitely be in touch with you we'd love to have you back on to talk about more yoga hacks that we can all use in our life so thank you thank you thank you um, and thank you everyone for listening to us um, please continue to check Check us out. We're going to have some more exciting guests coming on in December. And as always, we hope that you go through your week and be the light. Good night, everyone. The recording over.
suffer from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrin. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrin, caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrin may result in a lack of drowsiness, improved productivity, and better cash flow from decreased coffee spending. Unexpected job promotions have been associated with Vibrin. Vibrin may decrease the urge to zone out, doze off, or exhibit signs of slacking. All jokes aside, always read the label, take only as directed, and limit caffeine as it may cause real side effects. Not for children under age 12. Looking to avoid holiday crowds? Hurry to the Jeep Big Finish event. Then sit back, wait for the snow, and hit the road while others avoid it with Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. Cherokee with its legendary 4x4 capability, the all-new Jeep Compass or Jeep Renegade. Come in now to the Jeep Big Finish event and save yourself a lot of hassle and get yourself a great deal. Available four-wheel drive, Jeep Grand Cherokee has received more awards over its lifetime than any other SUV. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC.